Today's businesses are on a vigilant watch for threats in an ongoing cyber war. It's time to get real-world solutions to protect and secure your valuable business information anytime, anywhere. Welcome to Cybersecurity America with Josh Nicholson. You're about to gain special access into a world of restricted information and a backstage pass to the inner sanctum of cybersecurity operations. Here's your host, Joshua Nicholson. Now, don't forget to hit like, subscribe, comment, share, and turn on those notifications so you don't miss an exciting episode. Welcome to the show. It's your host, Joshua Nicholson. Today's episode is a really exciting one. Today, I have a Penn State graduate, and his name's Dennis. Dennis served as a captain in the United States Army. He served with the 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault and was deployed to Afghanistan from 2010-2011. Now, Dennis transitioned from his military service to a career in cybersecurity. We worked as a cybersecurity professional for the Department of Veterans Affairs, the Department of Homeland Security, and several private companies. Now, Dennis ran training courses at each of these organizations and won several awards for citing outstanding achievement for his training programs. He founded Cybercraft in 2019, with the mission of bridging the cybersecurity skills, cybersecurity skills gap through elite training courses. Welcome to the show, Dennis. It's so glad to meet you. Hey, thanks for having me, Joshua. It's wonderful to be on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for your service in Afghanistan, man. We really appreciate you doing that, and we have a grateful nation, so thank you there. And thank you for your service as well. Yeah, so Dennis, so tell me, what have you been up to? I know you've been in cybersecurity here for a while, but tell me, what is new with you, my friend? Here at Cybercraft, my mission is to help people get certifications so they can advance their careers, help get as many people as we can into the cyber workforce, because there's an enormous cyber skills gap that grows every year, Mm -hmm. and help organizations train their folks, get their people the certifications they need so they can qualify for government contracts, for different opportunities that are out there. And there's I do believe in the power of certifications. That's how I transitioned from being a veteran to becoming a professional in cybersecurity. And I'm helping other people, other veterans do that every day. So I love what I do. Yeah. And I think you and I both being former military are used to that structured approach and that training. We used to have those learning sessions. I think the one thing that's great about the military is their schools, whether it was the Army, Marines, Navy, it's just the schools and and their ability to pass on knowledge. I think that's what makes us so great. And without that, how do you pass on to that next generation? And so guys like you are really focused on building that workforce, right? Yeah. And a lot of what we do here lessons I learned in the military, how to pass on that knowledge from one generation to the next, from your senior leaders, from your senior NCOs, down to the next generation of soldiers. So I think that's very important. And a lot of my instructors, let's say 90% of my instructors are military veterans, leaders, or former leaders in each of the service branches. I think we have instructors from each of the service branches, even Coast Guard. I was about to ask you that. We got two Coast Guard guys. (laughs) I didn't know if you had, you have the Coasties, so you rounded it out. There you go. Yeah, we do. We don't have any Space Force yet, but I am seeing more and more Space Force. I don't think anyone's gotten out of the Space Force yet. They just started. I don't even know if anyone's a veteran of Space Force yet. That would be an interesting thing. Do you have a Space Force veteran, like somebody who just got out on contract? I think they're still in orbit. I think they're coming down maybe next year. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Not yet. I haven't seen too many Space Force veterans, but I'm sure they're going to be there soon. 
My um, son is ROTC right now, so he's going Air Force, and they gave him the option of going Air Force or Space Force. And uh, there's difference between the two. I think Space Force, when we started looking at, especially the officer positions in Space Force, a lot of them was more, it was more of like satellite monitoring, intelligence services, that kind of stuff, space operations. And it was like all the cool um, building of the new platforms and the jets and the, all that stuff was the Air Force. I'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Is that really true? Is it Space Force really just rocket monitoring and satellite monitoring and Air Force is everything else? What are your thoughts? What did you hear? I think so. That's from what I'm hearing. Uh, my good buddy, my best friend, Alex Vongers, he's a, he's a professional engineer in aerospace engineering. So he actually works quite a bit with NASA. And I don't know if he's done any Space Force contracts, but I think from when talking to him and talking to other veteran friends of mine, that's a lot of what they do is adjusting satellite orbits, making sure that those satellites stay out of debris fields and ensure yeah. they have the right orbit to maintain whatever monitoring capabilities they're doing. But I'm not sure. That's just what I hear. Yeah. What a satellite to me is a massive IoT device. That's really <laughs> what I say. So we had DEF CON 31 this year in Vegas. And part of it was they had the satellite system broken out. So you can see the components. And normally they had satellite simulations, uh, there, but this was the first time they actually had a geospatial satellite in orbit that was part of a capture the flag at DEFCON, and somebody did it and was able to uh, compromise that live uh, satellite in that controlled environment. That's pretty I nice. That was that was real interesting. I knew that was eventual. They can't say that's the first time a satellite's ever been compromised. No, I'm pretty sure it's happened multiple times. Uh, when I came out of the Marine Corps, I did IT and went into computers and cybersecurity. But I had friends of mine that went into SATCOM because we were all comm guys in the Marine Corps. And one of the things he was doing at satellites was IP addresses and setting up ping connections and secure shots. So I know satellites are pretty much big IoT devices. Yeah, they have to communicate somehow. It's not going to be some revolutionary technology that's impenetrable. It's going to be basic IP networks. And you know, just like anything else, any other device, if it has to communicate, it can be hacked. Not surprised I myself. <laughs> When you ask yourself, how do you train people? Like when I first came out of, of, of the Marine Corps, it was really IT. So we came up and had a lot of IT training. It was Microsoft MCSE and then Cisco CCMP and so forth before uh, getting my degree in software development. That lined me up to go to SANS courses and incident responder and all that other kind of stuff. But I have two nephews right now who are going the cybersecurity route but it's really a long route to go IT. And that, they didn't have cybersecurity when I was growing. It was all IT. And then now they can go straight into security, but they don't have the networking and the server and all that IT admin background. And I think they just struggle with trying to learn something on paper. So I just recently, off of eBay, bought a whole uh, lab, built my own lab out. So I got a, a Dell virtualization server. So I bought the Palo Alto firewall. I bought the entire CCMP network kit. And because what my nephews were saying is we're, we're reading the books, we do the training online, but I have no hands-on equipment. I need a set of VLAN. I need to create an access list and so forth. How do you, how, what do you say to students that are, they just feel that they learn so much better on hands-on, but everything's cloud now. It's really hard to say what is hands-on anymore. It, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I'm a real believer in hands-on training. And that's, this military guy we did everything hands-on. You had a hands-on component to all your training courses. And I try and do that with my every one of my courses. Practical application, component. they sold it, right? Practice. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. For example, with our entry-level cybersecurity courses like CompTIA Security Plus, we actually give students a, a bonus course on how to build their own cybersecurity lab, how to build a virtual network with a Windows server machine, a Kali Linux, oh, Metasploitable, and Windows 10. Mm-hmm. And they could keep that lab throughout their career. First, it teaches them how to do that networking piece that I think you need to know networking if you're going to learn how to secure a network. Oh, yeah. And then it gives them that ability to practice on their own outside of the lab environments. We also provide live labs direct from CompTIA for all the CompTIA certifications. For any of the certifications we're teaching, we'll provide a lab component. Like for Security Plus, just as a basic example, it's 32 labs that we give them. Teaches them the skills they need to know for when they get on the job. Because you could, it's possible to read out of a book and memorize the terms and take some practice tests and pass something like Security Plus, but then you don't really have the understanding of what you've learned. You just memorize some concepts. So we try and ensure that the students have that hands-on knowledge base. They've practiced with the tools. So they gain those actual skills that when they get to the job, they can start from day one or start learning the technology. They'll learn on a, on a network scanner or a vulnerability scanner within the lab environment that should translate fairly well to whatever vulnerability scanning tool is being used on the job. Mm. That's a, a question there too as well. When I looked at putting the lab together, it was an open source tool set option and then like a commercial side. So one of the things I, I love Sandstring, I got three or four GIACs, but one of the things it was always on open source tools that you, that's great. A lot of open source tools you download, but when you work for big banks and organizations like I did, you weren't allowed to install any of that. It had to be commercial options and it had to be these commercial product sets. So it's almost like, how do you, I, I would have uh, students download Splunk, for instance, a smaller version and be able to get used to it. And I don't know, how do you balance that? Some Somebody could be well-trained on the, all these open source tools. They walk into a corporation, none of them are there. You're like, are y'all running, running Snort? Is there a Nessus vulnerability? All these free things that come off a of Kali, but at the same time, these enterprises have just big EDR systems. Here's CrowdStrike you now need to take care of. Now here's a Splunk sim and I don't know. How are we preparing them for that enterprise level cybersecurity? I think it is valuable to train on the open source tools, on tools that are going to translate fairly well, because you can never accurately predict exactly what solution the organization that you're going to be end up working for is going to be using. If, you, if you're in a position to understand, maybe you have a job lined up and they want you to take a specific set of training, that's great. And, and with some of our clients, our corporate clients, we do have that where they tell us, we want our students to learn this technology, couple this with this certification, and then specialize. We use Amazon Web Services for our cloud. So we want them to learn AWS or we we use Splunk. Can you incorporate some Splunk training into your into the training course that we're going having them go through? If For those contracts that we do for our clients, we can have that specialization. But for somebody just purchasing training or enrolling in training for themselves, it can be difficult to guess that. And if you can become too specialized, you know, you specialize in Splunk and someone's uh, Mm. using a different, using QRadar or something, and you just, you're a little too specialized at that point. So I do think there's, there's a balance there. Uh, Ideally, you would train on the tools you're going to be using. Not all the time that really lines up. Yeah. Well, I see pros and cons of both of it. The open source tools, you definitely understand what it's doing easier. A lot of the training can be uh, pretty standardized and so forth. And you go to these other versions, of commercial products, and they've changed now. This one's a portal and it, it moves really quick and fast. I think for their perspective too, you have the 
cybersecurity professional that's coming up, both my nephews are an example of it. They're like, I'm hearing AI. Should I learn something in AI? I just feel that it, you need to, but I don't really know networking just yet. And so I'm like, I, I think you need to know the networking first. But you could see how this kind of stuff comes up. And then uh, zero trust architecture. Okay, should I get certified in zero trust and some of these products? So it's you could see where it's confusing to them. to some, And it's almost like they really need a mentor. So does your training include mentorship? Like you you meet with the students from frequently or how does that work? How does the mentorship aspect work? Yeah, absolutely. So we provide a full service solution. We, we don't just set them into a class and then mm-hmm. they're done. We say goodbye. We're always open to have them meet with our instructors, meet with myself if they want to talk about their career path, what certification they could go through, what we provide career assistance for all of our students to help them add those skills they learn in the class on their resume and then get to understand because there's so many different training pathways you can go through nowadays. And, and you have questions like your nephews do about should I focus on AI? That's a hot button topic. Or should I learn the basics, learn networking? And I'm of your mind too, that you need to learn the basics first. And something like AI, you learn something now, a year from now, it might be obsolete. So it's always good to hit the basics. But yeah, we do the do that mentorship piece. Just again, drawing on my military background, you would always get that mentorship alongside the training. And you would learn your skill set, but you'd also learn yeah. those knowledge, those little nuggets of knowledge that can help provide that extra 10% to the training. Yeah, completely. One advantage we have from the military is we had many fathers, right? You're 18 years old, and at least for me on the enlisted side. So I'm 18 years old, and here is a 20-year-old that looks so much more mature and has it figured out. They've only been in two years longer. And then having that mentorship with the senior enlisted all the way to your officers and so forth, how everyone was uh, focused on your development because it, it was their job to ensure you developed into more than what, what you are. And sometimes I don't see corporations take that same approach. And sometimes they're like, oh, we'll give you training to satisfy you. Hmm. You mean yeah. satisfy me? It should be part of, I want to take this employee as an asset and grow them to the next level. And I'm going to do that by investing in this type of training and this kind of focused attention. And I don't see corporations really doing that too much. A lot of times their training budgets are not, in my mind, very strategic. It's more of tactical. Okay, we have uh, the Cisco IBR solution. So we're going to at least make sure three people are certified in case the thing goes out. That, that's where I see the focus, more that tactical, rather than someone saying, I need someone who's better at strategic analysis of where we're going. Uh, and I need to train my entire staff. I could see where there's a training solution where you would say, these are my core functions. I want to have a solution across the board of four or five different skill sets and use the same provider. And you build me a, uh, not just a mentorship, but a training program so I can have measurable results year one, year two, year three. And it's something I don't have to worry about. It's like mentorship is a service along with the training. Is that kind of how y'all focus on it? Is that an accurate description? Yeah, and I agree. A lot of, yeah, we definitely try and provide that added service, that added value that you, know, you can always reach back to us to talk with us. We're going to help you after your certification. Even after you get certified, we're here to help every step of your career. So hope mm-hmm. I try and convey that to our corporate clients, to our individual and students. Uh, that's what you get with us. You get that level of mentorship. And I, I do agree. A lot of companies, I think their leadership teams, they know they should be training their folks, but they're they not comfortable. They don't know what to do. Yeah, they don't know how to do that mentorship. They, they know, okay, training is important. I read these reports that training is very important. There's a cyber skills gap. 
So we should put some money into training. And that's not really how you solve that. You don't just throw money at it and then it Mm -hmm. fixes itself. You got to put the time in, you got to put that mentorship. And somebody who just grew up in in the corporate world might not understand how to do that or feel comfortable having those conversations. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, one of the things I noticed is that I'm an executive who is technical. So I came up on the technical side. So it's easier for me to understand the need for training and and advancing your skill sets and how this is a a perishable thing. So I I really get it. The problem, though, is that there's a lot of other executives that do not are not practitioners. They weren't hands on cybersecurity people. They're just maybe they have an MIS degree. And to them, training doesn't seem like why can't you just read the book or something in the evenings? You don't you just read articles or something? And they don't realize how fast cybersecurity goes and that you really need to pause the expectations of production output for the people and take them offline for training when necessary and invest it and not say that, hey, we're going to do training. And by the way, you can do it after work's over. After 5 p.m., you could do two, three hours of training in the evening. And that's a, that's not investing in your people, right? And I, I just see that there's so much area for improvement on the way we're handling people's training and their mentorship that I'm glad to see y'all are working to do something about it. Now, now, how does the pricing structure work? How, if I want my nephews to, how does that all work? We have, I think, probably the best competitive prices on the market for training. Normally, you see something like an entry-level cybersecurity certification, like I'll take Security Plus, most popular cybersecurity certification, mm-hmm. at an average usually between 2500 to 3000 and we charge for our entry level certifications 2170 for security plus and 1980 for network plus because we want to train as many people as possible with those entry level certs and that includes your voucher we also guarantee a first time pass with any of our live courses so if you take a course with us you take your certification exam you should pass on that first attempt if you don't we're going to pay for another voucher too because i think if you enroll in a course you should get the voucher or i mean you should pass your exam so I really try and focus on that first time pass. I try and keep my instructors to that that standard of getting their students to that first time pass. And that that's where we offer, it all ties in. If you have that motivation, you set that, that standard, then the instructors are all working towards that. The students feel motivated. They feel confident working towards that first time pass. If they get that, that just boosts their confidence throughout their career. You know, I, I had a good start in the field. Yeah, our pricing is, I think, very competitive. And we do offer financing, special financing for veterans. We partner with a financing company that doesn't just take the credit score in mind. It also takes your military service, your education background, when it gives you a financing decision that the company's meritize. And they look at your DD-214, for example, to make sure that they're taking your military service into account. So we, and we offer veteran discount for all of our programs as well. So if you're looking to enroll, use discount code VETERAN10. You'll get a discount on any course that we have. I think our, our pricing is very good. We, I'm not here to break anybody's bank. I'm here to get people trained. No, that actually makes sense. And do you have a, and so this is live instructor-led, is that right? So if you are, or it's just self-paced? Uh, we do have self-paced options too. Mm-hmm. And But for entry-level people, we do really recommend the instructor-led just mm-hmm. so they can have somebody to support them throughout the way. But we do self-paced training for ISC squared, ISACA, CompTIA certifications. We have all of those. We're ISACA premium accredited training partner. Uh, mm-hmm. We're CompTIA authorized partner. We're... So we use the official courseware from those organizations. 
Yeah, that's good. One of the, one of the things my nephew meant, it it would have been much better to be instructor led. He did the self pace through another vendor, a different provider, and did the self pace, and it was just really difficult for him to do it on the first entry level course to do self paced. And I think the instructor led would have been much better for him. It would have, he would have had questions. He could have stopped it. I th- just think for him it made sense, and that's what's important with each student, right? They have a different consumption methodology on how do I consume learning and how do I do this? And I and I think what you're saying is you adapt to that to ensure uh, success, right? It's not just selling tests and certifications. Those are just uh, what you do to get to the end, which is a trained and qualified cybersecurity professional, right? And we actually incorporate the VARC model into our classes. So we visual, audio, reading, writing, kinesthetic. So we incorporate all of those aspects. So some people learn better by watching videos. Some people learn better by listening to somebody instruct. Some people learn better by reading a book. Some people learn better by doing. I'm more of a learn by doing. So we give all of those aspects into one of our courses. We give the live labs. We give an official study guide. We give recordings of all the classes, special videos that we've recorded so they can watch those if they like. So we try and hit all of those aspects. So we're covering all of the learning styles. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and so tell me a little bit more about the company. How long has it been around? We've been around since 2019, mm-hmm. and yes, it's pretty natural for me because I did run training programs for a lot of the kind, a lot of the consultant agencies I worked for, different government agencies. So, just it was natural for me to start my own business doing training, mm-hmm. and I've seen how it's run from an HR perspective in a, like a government consulting firm. So, it's a natural progression for me to offer that service to individuals and also to other contracting firms other cybersecurity companies. No, that makes sense. And uh, I could just see it from the perspective of uh, having a consolidated way or at least a standardized way to deliver training uh, to to staff who are always busy and on the fly. And, and how do you get that time? How do you make it productive and impactful? I've I've had many training courses and SANS, uh, things I've been through, SANS or like global knowledge was one I went through in the past. And some companies just have a really good program. And I think that's where uh, people need to realize that um, you're not just a commodity-based product, but there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of methodology in what you do in order to to enhance the learning. And some of these trainings I see don't have that. It's very boring. There's no graphics. There's no real audio that engages. It doesn't ask you scenario-based questions that, that may come of it. A lot of the questions at the end of it were really gotchas. It would use language to make it, could it be A or could it be B? And then here, it it wasn't a real logical analysis of something I want. It was a gotcha. It was just to increase the difficulty through archaic or esoteric words. And I can't stand those type of uh, tests because they're not trying to teach me anything. They're just trying to make the test harder by tricking you with word games. And how do you handle some of that? Do you incorporate some of your training in real world scenarios or is it, what do you, how how do you infuse that training into your programs? Yeah, it's a great question. There are a lot of these certification exams will have those gotcha questions, and we're very mindful to explain the thinking behind those. If you come across one of those questions, there's usually a couple key words that you can clue in on that are going to be a little odd, like very esoteric words that you'll see. And we try and explain to the students how to think about this question. Okay, so you had a test writer write this question. Why do they include this word? This word stands out. So you got to think, okay, what is this word trying to hint at? in regards to the answer. So mm-hmm. I, I'm like you, I don't like those questions. I think the question should be written as clearly and simply as possible 
to test the knowledge, not just try and make it confusing to make it for confusion and for difficulty's sake. So we do try and help the students. We do, we really work to help the students understand those questions. And when we get to those, they can yeah. answer those correctly. Yeah, I was, my nephew was taking one of the questionnaires for, I think it was Security Plus, Network Plus. I can't remember which one it was. And the question they asked was something that was possible. And I can't really remember what it was, but the genre was this possible that you can do that. And I was like, yeah, actually, you could pop the stack and you could do this. And my answer was too advanced. It was supposed to be, no, you can't do that. And so it was interesting how some of those questions, the answer is, I don't know, just it, it, there is possibilities outside of it, but they don't want you to think that they want you to learn the structured question that answered that very basic question, if that makes sense, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we see that a lot with CISSP. With CISSP, we do a little different training. We do a lot of one-on-one sessions with our CISSP because everybody has different background experience. There's such a huge knowledge base you need to know for your CISSP. And with my most experienced students, it's really about teaching them how to think about the questions without trying to leverage their knowledge and experience. Because as an experienced cybersecurity professional, you can look at a question and say, oh, I know a way, a workaround that we can do this. Uh, we could reroute yeah. it here or uh, bypass that. That's setting. what I was running into. Yeah. Right. So it's really, you have to look at each question in a vacuum, which isn't how it'd be approached in the real world, but it's a, like a test uh, mm-hmm. specific mentality. So we really do try and train that but the focus of our training is providing real world skills. So we do train that how to pass the test, but we also want to make sure the students are prepared and they learn the real world skills, the actual skills through the labs, through the hands-on exercises. So they get something outside of just passing the test. But passing the test is important. You decide for a certification uh, yeah. class, you should pass the exam. So we got a mix of both of those. But I'm the same mind as you. Those questions are out there. They can be, it can be frustrating for a lot of students Rightfully. When you would think, too, is that the whole think like an attacker and logic based testing, I think, especially when you're in IR, it's real easy to have confirmation bias or some other influence in which I make the wrong answer. I go down the wrong path and I miss the attack and I totally went in the wrong direction. So what is my logic? If A equals this and B equals that, that means C. There's a whole analysis of logic when a threat comes in and when you're handling cybersecurity. And I was wondering how you really infuse that kind of thinking into a technical course that says this bit means this. A lot of people think certification courses, a lot of it is just remembering and regurgitating long names for things and protocol names and just being able to answer it when somebody asks you what's TCP stand for. And, okay, I can now say transport uh, transmission control protocol. Wonderful. Does that really mean this knowledge? But there does seem to be like this basic. You have to know definitions before you can get into concepts. So I I don't know. What are your thoughts? Some of our favorite training that we do is where we do customized cyber ranges, incorporating clients, their integrated systems, their policies, their IR team. And we'll run like maybe a red team, blue team. We're just, we're doing live injects and they have to defend against it. So they can practice with their policies, their techniques, and do a kind of a team building exercise for them. And then we're seeing their methodology. We've done this uh, multiple times with companies where we, you know, we do live attacks. We introduce whatever attack, maybe we'll pick it or we'll, what do you want to defend against? Do you want to defend against a ransomware attack? We'll comprise, develop a ransomware scenario. We put them in a lab environment. We have their team 
defend against that. So those are great because the team can actually work with their SOP, their their procedures. You know, you get senior leadership involved and it becomes a really good team building and practical scenario. But we do with the certification training, we do try and there's a lot of that memorization. You have to know the basics. And that's I think there's a place for that. And it's important for the certifications to be able to advertise, you know, if you pass this certification, you pass CCSP with ISC squared, for example, certified cloud security professional, you should have a knowledge of virtualization techniques and uh, the cloud concepts. So there's a little bit of that, I think, but it's important to expand upon that and not just have that be the focus. And a lot of courses, like you said, that is the focus and, and that just becomes all you get out of the class and you pass the certification, what else do you get actionable outside of that. So we, we try and go in above and beyond just that. No, yeah, that makes sense because you have to have a mirror of all of that uh, really to be effective. Just because you're able to pass uh, some of these vendor certification doesn't mean you could be dropped in as a cybersecurity person in an environment and know what you're doing. I think there's a lot more advantages now than when I was coming up. When I was coming up, we didn't have the amount of virtualization that you had uh, now where you could get your own virtualization server, you could stand up multiple PCs, you can do a lot of different things. You want to see what an attack looks like on the network, you could simulate it at home. The idea of having a VMESX server at home 10 years ago was unheard of. That was way too expensive. Who was that? That was like a millionaire would have one of those in anything like that. So it does seem like we have a lot more options than we never did before. But I, I wonder now with all the things like Azure and how do you get Azure training that's actually real world when you got to pay to get into their instances and spin up resources and stuff like that. So how do you have Azure and AWS and where there's actually live resources in there that how does that work? Yeah, actually, we do offer Azure and AWS training. Now, for example, CompTIA Cloud Plus, now when you take that training, all the live labs are live AWS instances and live Azure instances and, and then some Google Cloud. So you actually spin up a live AWS instance and you can do whatever you want in that instance. Of course, there's a guided exercise you can go through, but you can go and it's ephemeral instance. So you can play around with it. If you break it, that's fine. It's going to be deleted when you're done with the session anyway, unless you save it. But so you can, it's a great environment to have somebody practice with a live instance that's configured like you would see in an enterprise and learn the actual internet, internet accessible. Yeah. No, it's a live instance. It's hosted on AWS. It's not a virt- It's not a simulated instance. It's a live AWS instance. Same with the Azure ones. CompTIA Cloud Plus, it's not as... I don't think the advertising has been as good because it's a very good cloud cert. It's actually, I think, better for a practical standpoint than something like a certified cloud security professional. Now, you can always specialize if you want to go AWS or Azure specific, but I think Cloud Plus is really good. To pro- so you're talking about the CCSP, right? The cloud certified... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, for, with yeah. IC squared. That's probably the most popular cloud. I took that course three months ago, but I never took the test for it. So that was part. Actually, I'm sorry. That was more like nine months ago when we spun out of Booz Allen Hamilton. So I actually took that course. And one thing I noticed about it, it was very high level. It was yeah. very platform as a service, software as a service. It was about five nines redundancy. It was just really explaining all the terms. So when it came to like cloud IR type stuff, it didn't help me at all. But it was very a foundational one, I thought. It gave you a real, if you didn't know these things already, I thought it was a good course for the, at that level. Yeah, and the funny thing is that it, your requirement is at least three years of experience to get that certification. I think that certification should be more of a basic 
level certification for cloud because it has no practical application. It's it all GRC based. It's all just high level. Yeah, I need to know That's these terms. A, in AWS, you stand up a VPC this way, and this is how your cloud trail log should show up, and you use Route fifty three this. Way. It didn't talk about that at all. It just it's no. all cloud controls. It was really high level platform as a service. And to me, it was just that basic one. And one of my challenges, I'm a GCIA, so I'm an IR guy by trade, right? And IR in the cloud and as things move in the cloud just got so much more difficult and so many different things that you had to account for that are different in the cloud that that you didn't have that problem when it was on-prem. IDS sensors in line for things and physical taps for things. You don't have all that in the AWS environment. So it's all it's a different shift and there's some things you can do and some things you can't. And, and cloud yeah. and knowing those differences and what do you do when there's an incident and so forth. That was, that's a lot of the training I think is going to be valuable coming up in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. CompTIA Cloud Plus is very good for that. Teach practical mm-hmm. skills in the cloud. And then CASP Plus Certified Advanced Security Practitioner is an excellent skill or an excellent certification if you want to have somebody yeah. with good knowledge of penetration testing skills, incident response skills, and cloud knowledge because it draws from all of those. So. I think those are very good certifications that are growing in popularity. Definitely, there, there's definitely a increased focus on those, and for good reason. They're they're solid certifications. Mm. No, and I, I take it so. If I go to sign up for your training afterward, is it really the certifications or the output, or is there I'm I guess essentially qualify for a role? You know how some people are qualified stock analysts or one of those type of roles where they took two or three certifications and it gave them this kind of job functional job requirement moments or SOC analyst because they got these three certs. Do you offer something like that where you're putting skills and search together to match a job title? So when I go to a, when my nephews go to apply for a SOC analyst position, it's easy to say I'm SOC analyst certified with these three accounts. I am certified by this accreditation. Is that how uh, to look at it or what are your thoughts? We do advise our students on different certification skill paths that would work in that. A lot of organizations try and say they have a SOC analyst certification, but it really isn't. It's just that organization combining a couple of certs together to make a SOC analyst course. So we really focus on the certification chain that's going to get them higher. So if they want to get into GRC, for example, we would get them probably starting with Security Plus, uh, eventually working towards ISACA, uh, CISA, CISA, uh, auditor certification to help them. That's probably the best certification to get them in financial auditing or government auditing. Um, yeah. I get the CISM, so I get the Zaka system. Great, yeah. So we definitely recommend that for our more senior certification, our more senior students. Excellent certification. We're a big believer in the ISACA certification there. Yeah. Remember, they're the only nonprofit cert offer out there. They're the only nonprofit certification organization. And they were pretty good. The difference, like I first, I passed the CISP, CISSP twice so long ago that like the first time was 16 years ago. And then the second time was like 10 years ago or something like that. And I allow them to lapse because just keeping up with the CPEs and everything are a real pain in the butt. And I seem to reinitiate them if I'm on a job hunt, right? I'm like, okay, I'm looking for to change jobs here. Let me renew my search type thing. And what I noticed the CISSP is really control-based, more of understanding different uh, methodologies and waterfall. and But back then, the, the most technical aspect they had was encryption. That It was just uh, asymmetric keys, Diffie-Hellman protocol, your different hashing protocols, all that kind of stuff. That was the most complicated section of it. I'm going to assume it's expanded since then. And 
I covers different domains because you can just look how complicated it is now. You have EDR products. Now you have cloud-based items. You have MFA. You have all the stuff that didn't exist in that time period. So how do you see? Are they keeping up with Isaac is doing a pretty good job keeping up compared to ISC squared? Or what are your thoughts between the two? Yeah, I think I think they serve different roles. ISACA really positions itself as more of an advanced certification body. So they their view their CISSPs as future CISMs. And the CGITE for CISOs, that's more of a CISO level certification. So I think that they're really, they're in a good position. They primarily deal more with uh, risk management concepts. You know, with the CISM, you took your CISM, it's more of a managerial focus. It is. Uh, you know, how to assess risk within your organization, how to make risk-based decisions, how to communicate that to senior leadership or communicate that to your CFO, for example, to make sure you get the funding you need. <laughs> And CISSP, it definitely has expanded. I'm like, yeah, I've had my CISSP. You've probably had yours a lot longer than me, but now we're up to tri- triple digits in, or six figures in CISSP numbers. Back when I we were still in the 10,000s for CISSP numbers. So now it's well over 100,000 CISSPs. I think it's far beyond that. But they have, they, they keep shifting from domains. They used to have 10, now we're down to eight. CISSP domains. And there is more of a focus on network technologies and networking. It's still, like you say, remember the test is all multiple choice. So they can't be super technical. Like the test questions can't be as technical as like the CompTIA test, but it does. I think they do a pretty good job of updating it to make sure that it, it does cover emerging technology. I think any, I think ISC squared, ISACA, and ISC and CompTIA do a pretty good job of updating their certification. They all update them every three years about. Mm-hmm. And the updates, I think, do address the changes, the shifts in technology. There's the Security Plus just shifted to the 701 version. And that version really does incorporate a little bit of AI, merging technologies. Uh, so I think those bodies do a pretty good job. Yeah. And and then do you see your training uh, can be geared towards high school students or is it really post-secondary? Who usually takes your training courses? Yeah, we've trained everybody from high school students to you know truck drivers, mechanics to get into cybersecurity, experienced cybersecurity professionals. Mm. And we'll do we'll take everybody. <laughs> We're not going to turn around, turn out anybody. We've successfully trained people with absolutely no experience to get their security plus. Usually we start them if they have absolutely no experience in yeah. CompTIA A plus, and then we'll work them up through network to security plus. But yeah, we what I like to do is I like to interview each person or have my instructors interview each person to gauge their background. Yeah. Everybody's different. Some people might have a little bit of IT experience or maybe they grew up building computers or they used to work as a help desk professional. Now they might end up cyber. So we try and gauge what their experience is, where they should be, and then help them make a decision on which certification they should pursue. Yeah, I I had a guy who was buying a car last weekend, and he was a car salesman. He said, oh, cybersecurity, I'd I'd love to get into that. And he's mid-40s, and he's saying, I want to make a career move. I can't keep standing out here with all these cars. So no real technology background. And I said, okay, this is what I would do. And I pointed him to Isaac and I talked, pointed him to give him some guidance. And he says, okay, if I'd like to do that, how much money I can make from that? And I explained probably entry level. You're probably looking at 65000 right here. And he makes three, four times that. And he's, oh, so no, I would need to make this. 
It's like, uh, no, that ain't going to work. Nobody's going to hire an entry-level person making three times normal pay in the career. So it's, I think that's where you're going to have transition issues is someone's going to say, hey, I've been working in this field and business for 10, 20 years. I'm making $200,000 a year, but I don't want to do X anymore. I want to go into cybersecurity. And then just think you're somehow going to get a comparable salary at that level. And it's going to be significantly less than that as an entry in starting off in the entry level. So it's yeah, it can be tough. Yeah. For an older uh, professional to come in because mm-hmm. you start off as an entry level position. Say you're working as a mechanic. No one, somebody in cybersecurity hiring manager isn't going to care that you worked as a mechanic for 15 years. It's just like veterans, you know, military veterans. They have the same problem they, they work. They have all these excellent skill sets. They learn in the military. It's very difficult to translate that to a civilian world yeah, uh, yeah. where hiring manager says, Oh, okay. You were, uh, senior NCO with this battalion. What is that? Yeah. I don't know what that means. So you basically have zero experience. So it's that a lot. But yeah. right now, uh, within the last year, there was a cyber skills gap in the United States of 410,000. Uh, ISC Square just put out a, a workforce study. And they had in from the statistics of 2022, there are 410,000 uh, jobs that were unfilled in cybersecurity. And that's Skill gap is only increasing. That's just in the United States. Globally, there's a uh, 3.4 million uh, jobs that are unfilled right now in cyber. And so there's plenty of room for somebody who's looking to get into cybersecurity, work that career, and increase their salary to get an entry level position. So we do try and or do our best to help our newer students, our career transition students, find those positions, and we'll help them with their resume. We have, for each of our certification courses, each of our courses, we have skill templates. We make sure that they put the skills that they learn in the course on their resume, incorporate that into the resume. We have uh, resume writers that we work with to help have their resume redefined for cybersecurity, written so that it can get the attention of the hiring manager and pass those applicant tracking systems. Because nowadays there's machines or applicant tracking systems are going to scan each of those resumes. If those resumes don't have those key words that are corresponding to the job title, the resume will be rejected before it's even looked at by a human. That's a really good point. So you do full scope. It's not just I train you and I drop you off on the street. I'm actually career development. Like when I was updating my resume a while back when I was going out on market, there was its ability to ingest into the different career sites. If it, your resume, your Word version wasn't in the right format, it was in some crazy format, and it doesn't ingest into your career builder or your monster or your dice or your LinkedIn, it doesn't show up natively within there and it's all messed up that recruiters just move past. And I, I'm not even going to try and decipher that the bio, the entry got thrown here and then your past employment got thrown there. I can't read this. And they just move on. And what I think what you're saying too, is that let's not make stupid mistakes. Let's enhance your uh, ability to highlight your skill sets in front of an employer. And let me help you with your resume. Because one one thing I know is uh, coming up as an engineer and now managing uh, dozens of them is that they really don't know how to write. The creative writing and putting a resume together, they can uh, tear a packet apart and show you where it's coming from. They're very highly technical, but actually writing about themselves and so forth, they're they're not. And I think there's some, um, they fall down just for basic stuff. So I, I 
if you're going to do that resume review and that cover letter, that was the, the best part I thought of the Marine Corps. I, I uh, transitioned out from Okinawa. So I was stationed out there for a year on my last year as a sergeant. I came back to Camp Pendleton. And so you go to SEPS company from there. Now, one of the things the Marine Corps was really good at was sending us to training for resume writing, for presenting, for speaking. The one thing that was just as important, if not important in the resume, was how to explain yourself in a resume. How when they say explain who you are, like tell me about yourself, that throws everybody. Just tell me about yourself. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to so as they had you walk through your elevator speech of saying, this is what I'm, this is my situation. I'm in front of a recruiter or I'm in front of this person. This is what I want to portray. And I've already thought it out. I've already written it out because uh, I, what I notice, if you really don't have that strong, confident uh, ability to explain who you are, what benefits you have with what makes you different than people, that it doesn't matter what kind of training you have. Nobody's going to tell and nobody's going to hire you and you're not going to get the job. And you're so qualified for it. But instead, you yes, you spend a lot of time and money on the certifications. That's great. That's that right brain side of it. But the left side of it is how do you communicate with the person in front of you? How do you make eye contact? I have uh, some people I see that the head's down. They're not talking. It's just really. So you all focus on that and you all try to enhance that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And those skills are, they're super important. Marine Corps does a lot better job than the Army. The Army just gives you some pamphlets and says, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, those skills are incredibly important. We, I talk to, I'll personally talk to my students if they want to get coaching from me on how to do those interviews. We'll do mock interviews with them mm. and to teach those skills because you got to be able to sell yourself. And that's really what the resume does. The resume gets you the interview. The interview is going to get you the job. Exactly. You got to be able to talk to yourself, talk to the the hiring manager or the recruiter explain why you're a good fit. Because once you get that interview, they want to know about you. Now, they're not looking so much at the resume. The resume's done its job at that point. You need to explain why you are going to be a good fit. Yeah. What value you're going to bring to their organization. So, and stories work. Stories so, work. what will happen is that in the interview, they're going to ask you, tell me some time that you had a difficult implementation or a difficult time and you had to team up with other people. They're going to ask you that, especially when the job is about working well with others and delivering and being a team player. Because I really, when I interview people, if you can't get along and, and work within a team environment, I don't care how many certs you have. I don't care what's your background, you're gone because it's a team sport in cyber. It's not a, it's not an individual thing. And trying to flush that out in an interview is uh, sometimes challenging, but I find good people that if they would just learn to communicate a little bit better, oh, and I wouldn't have said that, say it this way, they would have had the interview. They would have gotten the job setting expectations with employers. And I, I always say you want to flip the interview as well. If you're first talk to me about the position, if they say, if you have any questions, absolutely, you better have two or three of them. Don't ever not have a question. And the questions really are, I'm looking at several different offers here. Can you know, tell me why, why should I pick your company? And you literally say it that way. And what happens, the HR person goes, oh, okay, we have benefits and we have this and we have a dental program and we have that. And and all of a sudden you're like, you're asking, and, and from a career development perspective, I'm always looking forward. I want to be that, that conscientious team player here. So what kind of development do you have with your employees? And before you know it, they're selling you. They're talking about the position. It's no longer qualifying you the position. Now they get into selling you the position. Now, I could tell you, I do it all the time as the VP. At the end, I'm the one that 
that the team members already have gone through and I'm just the last in the decision-making right process. But when I, at the end, when I ask them, is there any question you have for me? And they have a really strong approach. They ask me very strategic questions. Like, where's the company going? Where do you see it in two years? When they ask me those level of questions, it's almost like green light immediately because they're engaged and they're asking and they're pushing up. And that's what you want. Smart people are always pushing up and lazy people are not. They could care less. Okay. I'm not going <laughs> to ask them any questions. I want to get this over with. Right. But an engaging person will be there. One other thing I noticed, I heard this on the news when they started talking about the war in Ukraine, right? And the Russian war and its inability to really capture ground and so forth. And what they were saying is because the Russian army lacks an NCO Corps. They lack the experience level of an NCO Corps that had been in for three, four years. They like the Army. They're able to tell what it's like and guide that next generation. What I'm hearing is that they do their tour and they get out. Nobody wants to stay in. So, so you don't have an experienced enlisted Corps, and that's why a lot of the discipline and everything breaks down. I don't, I don't know if you heard that or not. I agree. The NCOs are the backbone of any Army. You got to have that, that, that transitional skill base when I was an officer, I know that the NCOs are, yeah. <laughs> NCOs are responsible for passing that knowledge on and that they're responsible. It, just like our whole conversation, they really bring that training aspect, that development aspect to the organization. So if you don't have that, and from my understanding, I used to be an intelligence officer in the military. So we did a lot of studies on you know, the Russians and mm-hmm. how their military was structured. Our understanding is they're very officer focused. And that's tied in to the Communist Party structure. They don't have that, like you said, those motivated individuals who want to make a career. Oftentimes, they just become officers. Now, then they become politically motivated, and they don't really get to be involved in the training aspect. That's a, not their job anymore. So you get these very inexperienced NCOs who may have only been in you know, for a couple months. And it really does lead to logistical and organizational problems, if you want to understand. Well, well, think about it. If you're from a communist nation, the last thing you want is this part of your army that's the lowest levels to make decisions without you. It doesn't. (laughs) What do you mean? You could just figure this out and move forward. So the idea of (laughs) Marines are trained to hit the beach and that you have the youngest 18 year olds or PFCs and Lance Corporals, and they have to make decisions on the fly. They can't wait for the officers or the NCOs to hit as well. They have to make decisions right off the bat. And it teaches you a, a bias towards action is to take it and move on and, and not sit there and wait for orders. I think the Russians are the opposite, where when the Ukrainians started sniping and taking out Russian generals, all of a sudden there was chaos. Operation didn't exist anymore because you didn't have an NCO Corps that could just take over when the general got killed. So in many ways, I think it's cybersecurity is the same way, is that having that manager core, you know, in the Marine Corps, you had the the technical side, and then you had the admin side, all the way up to sergeant major, right? You got the first sergeant major, and then you got on our side, master sergeant, master gunnery sergeant. So very similar where you have a technical focus and you have a leadership focus. I see that in cybersecurity is that there's some guys that want to be the firewall admin. They want to continue to get promoted, but they don't want to be a manager. They don't want budget spreadsheets. I don't want to have to do finance now. I, I just want to keep my career progressing, and but I want to stay te- technically focused. I think there's too many organizations that miss the bus. They don't give the technical team the ability to get promoted and to stay in the... Because to get promoted means I have to be a manager. And there's only one of them or, or whatever. I I don't want to be a manager moving forward. And what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think you're right. It's very, it's a very corporate mindset, which is more akin to that Russian army mentality. If you want to get promoted, you need to become part of the executive team. Yeah. Uh, and that's really a counterintuitive a lot of times to how to transfer those skills, those knowledge-based skills into the organization. And the organizations I see, our clients that are most successful is where the leadership team is involved in the day-to-day and they still have a stake in the technical aspects of the organization. So they're not wholly focused on the managerial aspects, but they are also focused. They have a hand in the technical side and they're able to convey that knowledge. So if an organization is able to maintain that and provide a career path that also allows that leader to have a hand and help develop the workforce, then I think you find a lot of success. But it is a, it's a different mentality than why the military can be so successful in training individuals. Yeah. I can tell you, too, is that we, we just recently acquired a company called Red Team, right? A group of pen testers, phenomenal experience, everything. And so when we brought them on board, we made sure we brought them to DEF CON 31. We did the onboarding there. We spent a lot of time and money making them part of the team, going to this training. And I thought it was a phenomenal experience for both. They felt motivated. They felt like uh, people are investing in the future and management understands. And it was a good camaraderie team building. And what we're seeing in surveys, um, we manage about 450 customers around the world, but we those points of contact, those sisters we talk about, their staff's all saying the same thing, is that just the recognition by management and the training and uh, a focus on their career now that we're all remote, because the mentorship is much difficult now that I'm all remote. It used to be I went into the office, I can walk into Bob's office and go, hey, Bob, what do you think? And it doesn't work anymore. And how do you do mentorship now and train junior people when it's over a conference call? We're not even physically next to each other anymore. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more challenging for sure. It is. Now, Dennis, I really appreciate you joining me. It was a great time. Unfortunately, we ran out of time today. And uh, any parting words you think our audience would like to know, please tell me uh, how more. How can we find out more about your company? I invite you to check out our website, cybercrafttraining.com. Check out our social media outlets. We have a pretty good YouTube channel, Cybercraft on YouTube. We have LinkedIn presence and Facebook we do. Our, we have a Discord server if you want to learn or you want to grow within your cybersecurity field. You want to learn from our all of our alumni. Please join our Discord server. I'll be happy to put a link here or send out a link. And yeah, if there's anything, if you have any questions, you reach out to me directly, Dennis K at CybercraftTraining.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions you have about si- what certs I should go for, what should I do for training, what's the best value for me at this stage of my career. So I'm happy to answer any questions like that. That's great. And I think we could do, Dennis, is just post that in the comment on this YouTube video and then for that link, and then people could click on that and, and go to that site. So that's awesome. Thank you so much, Dennis. I appreciate you. And for the rest of the my audience, I appreciate everybody. Thank you and stay secure. Now, don't forget to hit like, subscribe, comment, share, and turn on those notifications so you don't miss an exciting episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cybersecurity America on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you've learned some valuable information to help you be a better executive leader and navigate today's complex world of cybersecurity. Until next week, stay secure.